stop Ouija. I don't have enough arcane power. Where am I needed? I need fury, not enough hatred. Resupply here! Spawn more overlords. They're taking the point! I can't for me! Yes! Victory! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. Welcome to this episode of Not Enough Resources, a bi-weekly, occasionally gaming podcast hosted on roguesportal.com. We skipped last week, so we wouldn't have an episode coming out on Christmas, uh, the week of the holidays. We want to make sure everybody is spending time with their family and having a great, hopefully relaxing week. My name is Ryan. You can find me online at Ryan M. Holt, pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Battle.net, the whole nine. And I am joined this week by my illustrious co-host, Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's been a, uh, a wonderful week, and I'm getting ready to go on vacation. So, happy vacation to me. Perfect. Happy vacation to you. And I just have one question on my mind, and that is, have you been playing any games up to your vacation? Do you have any gaming plans for your vacation? Uh, so I'm definitely going to be continuing to play the Magic the Gathering Arena. Uh, it is really, really fun. I really like it. People are pretty upset about a new thing where ranked, instead of being best of threes, is now best of one. Which I understand, but I am not quite at the competitive level. I haven't started sinking a obnoxious amount of money into the game yet. But it's still really fun, even if you just have one deck um, that's kind of meta. It doesn't take that much to build that, and it's it's the blast, man. Are you playing on PC, mobile, jumping between the two? Is it PC only right now? Uh, I actually, that's a thing that I wanted to check and see if I can do it on mobile. I haven't checked yet. I have only been playing it on PC. Uh, I've also been playing it on my laptop, which is also a tablet. Um, it has a touchscreen on it. You can fold it in half. And so I've been doing the touchscreen, and that's quite nice as well. It works really, really well. You can, It's integrated online, so you can import meta decks from like MTG Goldfish or wherever you get your magic news and decks and uh, articles. That's well, like really nice that that's already out where like it took Hearthstone years to integrate that into the game so that that's been really nice um but yeah it's it's great uh, i highly suggest it it's free to play you can really get a lot uh, out of dumping like 50 dollars. like if you treat it like you're buying a new game you can spend 50 dollars and not just get smashed over and over again and you also I mean, I don't really think you'll get smashed over and over again if you just use the free decks that they give you. They give you, like, 12 dual-colored decks as you start playing on top of the five mono-colored that are just standard that come after you finish the tutorial. So so it sounds like it starts you at a pretty healthy spot. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's um, there's kind of a steep learning curve to the game of Magic. Like, if you've ever played Paper Magic... There is a little bit of nuance to understanding like how the stack works and all of that, but it has a lot more of a... It's a little bit more of a thinking man's game than Hearthstone. There's a lot more to think about. There's a lot more combos and things that can really just like mess you up than in your standard... Uh, than, not your standard, but in, than in Hearthstone. Um, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking Hearthstone, it still, like, takes a lot, a lot to be good at that game at the high level, since it's, it's all about, like, reading your opponent and, and kind of figuring it out, but 
it, there's more to magic and there's more decisions that can be made when it's like not your turn where in Hearthstone you can only make decisions on your turn uh, if that makes sense so like that adds complexity to the game and strategy nice glad to hear and then um my final question on it does it lean on the rng factor of hearthstone that they've kind of like cornered themselves into because like one thing with magic like i used to play a lot of decks that would like summon one one creatures and like i would have to bring like you know a stack of quarters or you know marbles or something to count like how is translating that physical space into the digital space it's really nice because uh, you don't have to bring tokens um they started releasing token cards uh, that would just be like an extra card in your in your booster packs and things or if you like bought a deck that was themed around tokens so you would get those uh since it's online then like you just get the tokens automatically they just throw them in there or like they you don't have the the digital copy of the card. It's just when it comes up, you get it, which is really nice. So you don't have to keep track of all of that stuff. That's the other thing is that Paper Magic, there's so much to keep track of that it makes the game take longer than it, it probably should. And so far, um, Arena, since it gets rid of all that stuff, having to like get a stack of quarters and having to tap and untap cards and, like, remember, wait, did I tap that mana? How much mana do I have? It does all that for you, which makes the game feel faster, uh, which is a lot more fun than... um, I, personally, I think it's more fun than Paper Magic, outside of the fact that, like, you get to sit across from a human being, which is great. Um, However, speaking of sitting across from a human being, have you gotten in any uh, couch fights yet? So, uh, I've been playing Smash Brothers, and we had a sort of party the other night. Um, it was just kind of like, friends come and go as you please throughout the day. And we got all the way up to five players in Smash. And it was amazing and awesome, and we just kind of threw rules out the window. Everybody was on random, even people who, you know, don't take the game very seriously, things like that. And it's, it's, it's really good. I was enjoying it thoroughly. Um, online, not so much. Yeah, I've heard that the speed is pretty abysmal. Uh, have, you, say, have you tried to like play online yet? Yeah, I've played a couple. There was one night uh, early last week where I got on a tear with a guy. We were just going back and forth. We probably played... I would say somewhere around a dozen matches, just 1v1, me and him, back and forth. And the network held up okay against it. Um, there were a couple times I did feel that, oh, I should have hit that. Why didn't I hit that? My timing was correct. That the network kind of, I don't want to say stole a win from me, but it definitely like robbed me of some hits here and there. Not necessarily a full-on win, but but some hits. But once you get beyond that 1v1 scenario, when you start getting into 2v2s or team battles or four people, eight people with items and everything like that, it it bogs down really quickly. Yeah, I uh, was fortunate enough. I saw them. I played with six people and items on, and um, we had a we tried the six ice climbers, and it didn't work. Um, and that was offline. So, um, 
once you get up there... What do you mean it didn't work? Like, we started to drop frames with uh, six ice climbers. Interesting. You would think that would be kind of like the benchmark they would test it against, is eight ice climbers and everybody just go ham, you know? Yeah, that's that's what I would think too, but it's um, it's really fun, man. Like, I only got to play two games, um, but I, I've loved it so far. Um, who, who are you maining? Um, I'm currently experimenting a lot with Ridley, which I kind of knew that going in that I would be doing that. Um, but there have been some weird changes to overall characters. I used to play a lot of Link. Um, Link has changed completely. Uh, the big thing is his grab is no longer a hook shot. His grab is a melee grab. You have to be within hitting range in order to do it. He His bombs, you can remote detonate now like you can in Breath of the Wild. But because of that, you kind of lose some of the flow of, you know, boomerang, arrow, bomb, boomerang, arrow, bomb. So I've been gravitating more towards Young Link on that regard. Um, Daisy's a lot of fun. She's like a faster peach and it's just, I've been kind of, like, ebbing and flowing. I haven't really messed around with, like, the inkling too much, but I've been enjoying it, and it's got, like, such a wide roster of characters. Like, being competitive at Smash Brothers Ultimate is just going to be on a whole nother level that we've never seen before because there are so many different variables. Even if you take off items and you just play on, like, stock flat stages final destination battlefield style there's so many different things like how do you know what counters this what counters that i think once ultimate enters like the hardcore competitive you know here's you know everybody starts getting weeded out and things like that i think ultimate's going to be a lot of fun to watch but as a player right now i'm just enjoying embracing the chaos i'm not really trying to find a main i'm just mostly sticking to random yeah, I was really happy with how Pikachu felt um, just uh, right out of the box. Against, I was playing against some people that take the game pretty seriously and and uh, have been playing like regular Smash up to Ultimate coming out to like practice and things. And I I felt like I held my own. Um, I I got second place in one of those six man matches, and Pikachu is considered like D tier, F tier uh, for. Um, Smash Brothers uh, Brawl, so that was that felt good. Um, I mean, they I, they weren't on their mains or anything. I think a couple of them random, but it just like I felt stronger than I did in the past games, which is really cool. Um, same thing with uh, I played Ness as well. That's that's where I'm at on that. Um, let's move right on to news though. So with news, the big thing is pretty much anybody under the sun who is a dancer. Um, is suing Epic Games for including their emotes in Fortnite. Dylan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's pretty insane, this whole debacle with the dances. I'm, I've always, this has always been something uh, that I've been very passionate about as far as, like, copyright um, and copyright infringement, and um, I have a pretty strong stance on the way the current um, copyright law is written and how IP is treated. I think it's poorly written. The The law has a pretty insane stance on how long material is protected under copyright. But um, based on 
the current copyright laws, I it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out because none of these people copyrighted their dance moves prior to Fortnite picking them up. And now they have filed for the copyright on the dance move. So is that, have you researched each individual case? I know there's three of them right now. I've read a little bit about each of them. Um, and the like last uh, paragraph of most of the articles I've read is like um, two Millie has filed for copyright or is in the works of getting copyright of the dance. Same thing for, for Carlton, for Alfonso, uh, Ribeiro. It's, it's Ribeiro, right? I'm always worried I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I believe that is correct pronunciation. Okay. So for Alfonso Ribeiro, like, he has like, applied for the copyright on it. However, the, especially in the Carlton dance one, I would think that the, that dance belongs to Fresh Prince um, or uh, the owners of Fresh Prince, which is ABC. Is that right? I believe it's NBC, and, um, I mean, it was produced by Quincy Jones and his company. So, you know, Quincy Jones is a notorious music mogul. Like, he's a smart guy. I'm pretty sure if anybody has the copyright on that dance, it's going to be him, right? Well, yeah, and, like, I would, assu- I would assume that that's who, that's who would be able to apply for the copyright and legally get it. But you still do have to, you do have to, like, apply for, there's paperwork that needs to be filed. Currently, it's, pro- currently, I think, legally, it is Quincy Jones' IP. As the producer of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Which has the the dance replicated in multiple episodes. Like, it's it's part of a staple of the character, and it's relevant to, you know, pop culture and things like that through that character. Yeah, exactly. The only, but that's a little bit weird because it's also like acting is an art form and dancing is an art form. Is this so? I think I see where you're going. Do you category categorize it as performance art? Yes, and, and if it's considered performance art, then it would belong to Alfonso Ribeiro in his characterization of Carlton, and thus the Carlton dance. Yeah, and he has since, like, performed it multiple times. It's kind of like his shtick, right? Like It's his shtick. He's done it at Dancing in the Stars. It's people. It's a pop culture reference. Like, everybody knows the Carlton dance. Well, so, and and I think, I think, honestly, out of all of them, he probably has the clearest case, right? Because there's documented video proof. It was shot in front of a live audience. You can classify it as a performance piece. Like, I think he has probably the strongest case... What about, like, these other ones, like the Backpack Kid from um, the VMAs who did, like, the floss and everything like that? Like, I mean, I guess that could be considered a performance piece. But, like, some of these are coming, like, straight out of, like, viral YouTube videos. Well, right? yeah. So, in the floss one, it was, I believe, a viral Instagram video. And so that one really interesting me. That then put into MTV and all that stuff. So... I don't know how Instagram, their, like, ULA is written. Well, it's Facebook, so they probably own it. If it's Facebook, then, yeah, exactly. So, Instagram probably, just like with the Quincy Jones thing, however, if it's, like, his performance art, that would be his IP, and I think he would have the right 
But you can also look at a case like if if everybody is should should have heard Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, in which the band didn't claim that like didn't copyright the song, the producers of the song did, and so the producers walked up and won the Grammy for The Verve and got all of the money for that song, and The Verve got nothing because they filed the copyright on it as the producer of the song even though they didn't do it. Like, they didn't make the song at all. So, a lot of this, a lot of, like, it boils down to is, like, who is the actual IP owner? Especially when something as kind of, like, how do you define dance? Yeah. And, like, it's it's movement to music, right? Like, is is kind of... Well, so... When does something become a dance move? It's It's kind of like in music, like, four notes in the same time at the same speed aren't copyrighted. You can't copyright that because it's only four. But I think eight at eight notes. It's it's at a certain speed. It's it's the vanilla ice conundrum, right? Yes. Like if if you add a hi hat at the end of it, is it something different completely? Yes, exactly. And so with dance, like when does something become a dance move versus like just being dancing? And I mean in, in these cases like I will say like the two milli doesn't look like a dance move to me. Like that looks like something that any like has been done just as people anybody that dance like your uncle at a wedding walks out on the dance floor and does that and has never seen the video before, so that one I think like I think uh, Epic and the Fortnite lawyers are gonna have a pretty easy time of like no look at this person who did the dance back then, but with like the Carlton one it's pretty unique the floss is pretty unique, but I think we're also gonna see like. Facebook, Instagram, hey, we own the floss, not that kid. Or Quincy Jones, hey, I own the floss. Or, I mean, sorry, I own the Carlton dance. All right, so I have one more question for you on this. Since this is kind of like the first high-profile, I don't want to say, like, legal action, because there's been legal actions taken against game companies since the beginning of gaming, right? But since this is, like, the first high-profile one that involves, like, copyright and money and things like that, how do you feel about like because Epic is the only one that can collect that money and the curation of the store and digital content and things like that? Like, I just want to open up the door to that because one thing that I was thinking about is you know, you can't, you can't go to like a well, you can, you can go to this is a good example. You can go to a dance studio and say, Teach me the Carlton dance. And then you can do that dance because you've learned it. Is that copyright infringement as well? And what does that translate into for Epic? Like maybe Epic just, you know, there's a guy in a mocap suit and he does these motions. Yeah. You know, there's no like, there's no likeness of Alfonso attached to the characters in Fortnite, so you can't claim likeness. Well, so at that point, it becomes a process, not IP, not intellectual property. Yeah. So at that point, it's it's a recipe for a dance move, right? Yeah. Well, and that's the sort of like, and, and a lot of this hinges on. So these these dances are not copyrighted. That's that's really important. So they are currently intellectual property that Two Millie Carlton and Backpack Kid are claiming and attempting to get copyrighted. So that's probably why in Fortnite you don't see dances based off of, like, say, the moonwalk. 
Because that, exactly. that's copyrighted. I would guarantee that the moonwalk is copyrighted. I would bet money that it's copyrighted, absolutely. So, if you're epic, what do you do in this situation? What if reparations are, okay, well, you need money from all future purchases of this dance. Well, we control the marketplace, so I'm just going to take that dance off the store and no longer offer it. It's going to be a legacy item. So, all of a sudden, there's no more money in it. Like, what, there, there's all of these different ways this can play out from a money standpoint, specifically because Epic is the one that controls the marketplace. So how do you price reparations correctly? So the reparations thing is, is really interesting to me, because like you are talking about, um, it's a process that other people could learn. But, like, very, very, very good art thieves, not thieves, but art forgers, can make... Vincent Van Gogh's that are very, very like similar to a Vincent Van Gogh piece. Um, some people even said that the Mona Lisa is not... They, this is a conspiracy theory. They don't think the Mona Lisa is the original Mona Lisa. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying like, that's a, a theory, right? Do you think they can claim parody or fair use? I, I think they can claim fair use on this one, especially with... I think they can claim fair use because these dances have not yet been copyrighted. And have been done and parodied a lot of times. And like you said, there isn't a likeness to any of these people other than the dance move itself. It isn't a Carlton-esque character doing the Carlton dance. It isn't, there isn't a backpack kid skin that comes with the floss. So because of that, I think that it should be fair. It'll fall under fair use. But then I think we'll see, like, a flood of people attempting to copyright movements, which is a good thing because, like, that breaks the system. That messes things up. Because, like, currently... So, like, okay, Carlton Dance gets copyrighted. Somebody wearing uh, a jacket with a swastika on it uploads a video of them doing the Carlton Dance. Carlton, Alfonso Ribeiro, now has the right to send that guy... Like a and d or... A and d yeah, cease and desist. Um, and if he doesn't, uh, Alfonso Rivero has earned the rights to reparations, not only from him, but from YouTube as well. So, do you think in this case, and this is going to be my last question before we move on to esports and the competitive corner, do you think in this case that the performer has the rights or the choreographer? Because... Let's say Justin Timberlake, you know, they put a bye-bye-bye dance in the game. Does Justin Timberlake own that copyright, or does the choreographer who choreographed that video own the copyright? I would say that the uh, the choreographer would own that right. Yeah, but you I put... ultimately, like... But if you're being smart about it, you put Justin Timberlake in front of the lawsuit because he's the face, right? Yeah, like, and, and that's the other thing, is that, like, most choreographers aren't copywriting their dance. Um, like, their dance sequence, which I think could be a thing. Like, and that, that could be a good way, because the dance, my understanding is there's not a lot of money in dance. This could open up an avenue for there to be more money in dance, which I think could be a, a quality thing, could be a positive. Um, uh, but it could also be a negative, again, because the how long something is copyrighted for 
is ultimately a problem, but that's like a separate argument. Like if we're just talking short term, this could be good. Um, yeah. Because it opens up like a whole other avenue of income for a performing art such as dance. But it also, also opens up a ton of questions like, is it the choreographer of the Bye 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 Dance or is it Justin Timberlake? Wait, is it? Yeah, Bye 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 is sync. I was like, wait. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay, we got it right, yeah. All right. Well, I think it's definitely an interesting case, and it's definitely one I'm going to be watching going forward. I believe most of them will probably end up getting settled out of court, and I do believe the Carlton one probably has the most teeth. Yeah, I definitely think the Carlton one has the most teeth, just because of how much it's been used. But I don't think, again, like, does Carlton need to go back and sue all the late night shows and Saturday Night Live for every time they've used that dance? Um, and send out a bunch of cease and desist letters to every time somebody does that in a YouTube video. Like, it's a slippery slope for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, slippery slopes, let's move right into competitive corner. Heroes completely slipped up, and there is no more competitive scene for Heroes of the Storm. And the way Blizzard handled it was, to be frank, really shitty. Blizzard put out a blog post saying that they were not going to pursue a new HGC, uh, the Heroes Global Championship series that they've run for the past two or three years, and they're not going to pursue Heroes of the Dorm, which was my personal favorite esports event of the year. But the big thing is, is they didn't tell players, they didn't tell coaches, and all of a sudden, like, an entire subsection of the industry is out of a job. How? So, so I read this, like, what, I'm sorry, when was HGC? So, HGC Championships were at BlizzCon just a couple months ago. Okay, so they've been operating for two months under the assumption. That's something you got to announce way sooner. Like, that's horrible. I mean, I'm pretty sad, like, to hear it. The real question, like, my question here is, is there, is the, that space big enough, like, money-wise, that ESL or somebody who is, like, running esports independently of the game producer itself do they have the means to pick it up right now i can't answer that question because i feel like it's a giant conflict of interest for me i want it to continue on the side i do graphics work for a heroes of the storm community called heroes hype and we're scrambling to try and pick up the pieces we're trying to you know organize tournaments and things like that but without like a dedicated space without like an eye from Blizzard and things like that, it's proving very difficult. And specifically, like, the way Blizzard handled things as far as just announcing it with, you know, maybe a week lead time for these pro players and organizations and things like that. Like, there are a lot of people that are not wanting to participate that feel kind of soured by the news. And it's, it's, it's really, really tough for the Heroes of the Storm community right now. So... Just as a fan, and as somebody who has a little stake in this, I would say, you know, if if you're bored one night, just hop onto Twitch and watch a Heroes of the Storm streamer, see if it's something you might want to get into. If not, that's fine, but I think, you know, give it a shot. You know, maybe we can save a community. I think this uh, devastation from Blizzard leaves a really really awesome shot at a bunch of stuff as far as uh, like a grassroots organization, almost like you would see in the fighting game community. 
specifically like with Marvel versus Capcom. That's the first thing that pops to my mind. But it'll be really interesting because there's just a lot of infrastructure that's not in place because of this now. So with Hearthstone, like in the past, like I'm thinking um, early uh, esports, early days League of Legends, um, before Counter Strike, and got really big in the U.S. Dota got bigger in the U.S. Then it was all of these like it was bigger like I say grassroots, but um, like esports league, MLG style stuff was kind of what was running and doing these events. I mean, I went to Texas Showdown or Texas Cl- Lone Star Clash 2, uh, which was run by the University of Texas Esports Club um, that invited like four pro teams to come down and play League of Legends one weekend. And it was really cool. It was really cool to see this, this smaller grassroots group put that sort of thing on. I, I'm... But there was, like, a problem in that era with, since money was so tight, you couldn't trust and and work towards making a career out of it. And so it was, there was a lot of shady dealings, like, a lot of shady dealings. And with Here's the Storm, I, I don't think it really ever kind of hit the hit its stride all the way fully. I mean, which I think is part of the reason why Blizzard is, is pulling the rug. Then I think it's... I think it's fair that a lot of players are feel like, oh, with Blizzard gone, like the game has lost its value from a competitive perspective, which is really sad. But I'd love to see them try to pick up the pieces and try to do the grassroots thing because I do think that esports in general would be better off if the developers themselves didn't run the tournaments. I don't know. Esports has always kind of had like this weird thing going on it like where riot and blizzard and valve and everything like that has a hand in the production and development of an esports scene and i think it's really really weird i think it teeters on the edge of like a conflict of interest on one hand it's really nice to have the developers you know really want to fine-tune for highest play and wants to put things in for that and you know honestly like having the support of the developers is huge as well because i mean you know everybody talks about like the overwatch league and how expensive it is for franchises to get started and things like that but like how expensive must it be for blizzard like blizzard's fronting a lot of that too and to have that support i think is very important but on the flip side of that when you look at like smaller communities and things like that that are super passionate you still see like really high level competitive play i mean look at super smash brothers melee that game's been out for 15 years now and there are still people that are just like ultimate what's that i just want to play melee and like it's it's really interesting to see where this is all gonna go i'm optimistic for the future but i am disappointed that blizzard's no longer going to be in that corner Nintendo is the greatest example of, like, a developer that's like, I want nothing to do with competitive anything with any of our games. Like, keep me away from it. I don't like this. Like, Ultimate's the first time that they've kind of mentioned competitive balance even a little bit. So, like, the fact that there is that community that is so passionate that is putting things together, but it's still not as stable. Like, I mean, when LCS first started, then, like, Riot was giving a stipend to players and then on top of like requiring organizations to pay them X amount of money a year. So 
it's good. Like it's it, they they can be a good like big brother, but then like they can also be really damaging, and especially if it gets big. At the grassroots level, it's important that they're involved. And so, while it is sad to see, like, Blizzard kind of do this the way that they've done it, I don't think Blizzard's not going to, like, support it. They're just going to take a much a different role. I think it's going to be a lot more hands-off. A lot more hands-off, yeah. But I do think, I mean, it's it's a great game, in my opinion. I think it's, it's well-designed. I... I do have some frustrations, and I think ultimately the thing that keeps me away from the game is that, like, I've just put too much time into another MOBA. I mean, and that's unfortunate for any MOBA, because until... It's going to take a really special one for me to, like, decide to break the mold, because I put so much time and energy into learning a different one. But, again, if all the pros, if there's a mass exodus, and all the content creators and the people participating leave because blizzard leaves then their game's gonna die completely like regardless of esports the game itself will die because there won't be that community there which i think blizzard will lose money on at that point well i mean part of the reason it got pulled um this ties back to diablo uh jason schreier from kotaku wrote a really good in-depth piece about diablo immortal and why diablo 4 wasn't announced at blizzcon and in it he mentions that here's the storm is by far Blizzard's least successful product. And he used those words, by far. Um, he is a very, very, very good journalist. I believe every word he writes. Um, he's the one that broke the 100-hour workweek story for Red Dead Redemption. He knows what he's talking about. And if it comes down to Blizzard's not making enough money, that's fine. That leaves more money on the table for content creators that leaves more money on the table for grassroots organizations. And I think that's good. It's just, it's going to take a lot more convincing to get that money on the table, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I, I hate to say this for, for all of the Heroes of the Stone fans, but Blizzard, I think pushed really hard to make that game really big. They did cross like not platform, but like their gaming platforms content to try and encourage people to like, Oh, if I do this, I get stuff in Overwatch. Oh, if I do this, I get stuff in WoW. Oh, if I do this, I get stuff in StarCraft. Like, they push really hard to grow the player base on it and to get money infused. And I honestly think it just never got there, which is unfortunate. But sometimes that's just the way the dice roll. And I do think ultimately, like, Blizzard will be better because of it uh, moving forward. Like, I mean, they're great at making games, but, you know, sometimes you have to stumble fall off the horse to get back on and and do something great for sure well thank you so much for joining us dylan i do have one question for you this is going to be our closing question this is our last episode of 2018 sad tier so my question for you is what do you want out of gaming for 2019 i want gamers to bring their love and compassion for their fellow humanity into the way they play video games. That's inspirational. I like that a lot. I also really want to play the new Pokemon game. Well, we'll see what happens with that at E3. Because, I mean, it's it's December now, which means E3 is only, you know, five months away. It's on the way! What about you? For me, I would just like to see... I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I just, you know, we, we always end the podcast with everybody, you know, be kind to your fellow gamers. And I just want that to be extended to not just gamers. I think you just need to be 
better to people. And if you're a gamer, you know, and somebody's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't play games. Games are for kids. Don't be mean to them either. Just because they don't have the same hobbies as you doesn't mean they're lesser or othered. You know, they're, they're people too. And if they don't play games, that's fine. You know, you, you can still play games and enjoy them just as much. Uh, my, my big thing is I can't wait to get my hands on Diablo Immortal to try it out because I'm curious more than anything. But, you know, I just, I want, you know, if, if you're excited about a game, that's fine. And other people can be not excited about that same game. And that's fine too. So just keep that in mind that while you may be a first person shooter gamer or a real time strategy gamer, that doesn't mean that your cohorts or compatriots are any lesser than you are. I like that. I like that a lot. It's It's been a, a pretty crazy year for gaming, in my opinion. It's uh, really become a, a public thing. Like, it's something very much in the public eye nowadays. And there's a lot of great things that happened for gaming this year, and a lot of bad things. And I think it's... Uh, there's a lot to learn from, and, and there's a lot to look forward to moving forward. So I'm just hopeful for for another year in gaming. Same here. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dawn. And we don't even need to say it, but we're going to say it anyway. If you're sitting down playing games, just remember to be kind to your fellow gamers.